from Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Canada podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a priority for businesses who want to retain staff and prevent burnout, this is the source of information for creating sustainable and psychologically healthy workplaces in Canada. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Flourish DX Psych Health and Safety in Canada podcast. I'm Kim McDonald, and I'm your host. And today, my guest is Dr. Do you go Gulerson? And she and I talked about her name, which is Turkish, and that I had practiced, but I'm still trying to get it right, aren't I? Um, Gulserin. And Dr. Gulserin, I'm very excited to have you here today to talk about chronic pain and pain management and pain disability in the workplace. This is a pretty uh, amazing and interesting topic. And uh, my first question is always to the guest to uh, introduce yourself a little bit and share with our listeners how you've, your own journey and how you came to do this work that you're specializing, specializing in now. Thank you very much for Kim uh, having me for uh, in this podcast. Um, I'm really excited to be here as you can hear from my voice probably. Um, yeah, as, 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 as you mentioned, uh, my name is Duygu Gülseren. I am an assistant professor uh, at the School of Human Resources Management at York University. Uh, and my area of specialization is occupational health and safety. And, and that's why we are, <laughs> uh, we, our, our paths have, have has, um, crossed and we are here today. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, my journey to this point, uh, it was a long one. It's not a straightforward one for sure. Um, so like I, 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 you know, my background is Turkish. I completed my undergraduate and uh, master's degrees in Turkey. Uh, my, my undergraduate degree was in um, chemical and biological engineering. Um, my family expected that I uh, will work with them in our family business after my graduation. So that's why I, I chose a field that was closer to, um, to my family business, but I hated it. Like I hated every <laughs> minute of uh, studying engineering. Uh, but luckily, I, I was able to take uh, psychology courses uh, during my undergraduate degree. Like they were mandatory courses, but I'm glad that they were mandatory because it introduced me to a field that really excited me. Uh, and um, I was excited. I wanted to know more. That's why I did a master's in, in um social and organizational psychology. And that's when I was introduced to the field of um, occupational health and safety. Uh, so my, my master's thesis was about um, work-life balance, but I just, you know, just to briefly mention, um, we argued that work-life balance should be about health and safety, not about meeting the demands in in your job like um it's not about being a you know perfect parent it's not about you know getting all your work tasks done in a timely manner it's about like feeling well and being psychologically well um and it led me to to my um to my uh, PhD, uh, and, and I completed my PhD with um, Dr. Kevin Calloway, um, and he has made a, a huge impact in how I think about um, health and safety in, in the workplace. And I know he was a, a guest of yours in a few episodes ago. Um, so, I, you know, I just wanted to shout out, shout out to him. Uh, but yeah, and, and I, I like with um, Kevin during my PhD, I 
came to understand that all the, the health and safety, not all, but the, the, the majority of the health and safety issues that we have in the workplace are, you know, leadership is a part of it. So, mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and I became questioning the, uh, or, or joined the, 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 the team that questions the role of uh, leadership and leaders' behaviors in, in health and safety of employees. Um, and yeah, and right now I, um, as an independent researcher, my research program is mostly centered around chronic pain and pain disability in the workplace. Um, and I, I continue to work on the to understand uh, the, the the leader's role and importance in, in the workplace and, and with, with regards to occupational health and safety. Thanks for that. That's great. Yes, Dr. Calloway is a, a great uh, mentor, which I, I'm sure to so many students. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, share, I guess, starting with the definition of chronic pain and chronic pain in the workplace, which is really, uh, for me, very, very interesting because it intersects with a lot of the occupations and a lot of the industries that I work in, specifically in psychological health and safety. And so maybe just starting with um, what is the definition of chronic pain? And in Canadian workplaces, um, what's the degree or level? Like, it, is it a problem? Is it growing? Share a little bit about the context for chronic pain at work. Of course, of course. So chronic pain is defined as, uh, right now at least, pain that persists longer than usual healing time. So, uh, but there, there are like different uh, operational definitions, like uh, chronic pain is pain that persists more than three months. Um, it used to be six months, now it's reduced to, to three months. Uh, but in essence, it is like in, in the past, uh, chronic pain was viewed as an outcome of tissue damage. So if your tissues, like any any part of your body, if you have a tissue damage, uh you know, you, you feel soreness and this is chronic pain. But like recently, uh, researchers came to acknowledge that this is a very, very complex problem. It has social and psychological roots and it can be a disease in and of itself. So it, mm. like, it's called primary, uh, primary pain. Or if it's a, a symptom of a, a, another illness, it's called secondary, uh, chronic pain. Uh, but in essence, like we we came to understand that chronic pain does not have to be because of a, a physical damage in your body. It can be felt because your nervous system is uh, is under attack. So if you're feeling stressed, your body perceives it as as an illness as well. With like it it, it somatizes. So um, in in short, chronic pain is a complex sensation. It is a very uncomfortable feeling, um, and uh, it can be due to several factors. It can be due to physical damage, but it can be also due to psychological damage. Is it increasing in workplaces, or I guess in in the population? Are we seeing an increase in chronic pain? We are seeing a very serious increase in, in, in chronic pain. Well, I mean, stats, uh, and, and, and I think I forgot to answer that part of your previous question, but statistics say that, uh, one in every five Canadians, uh, adult working age, uh, Canadians are suffering from chronic pain. But I think like 
recent statistics or like um, future statistics will, 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 will show a higher prevalence rates. And, and particularly with COVID, with long COVID, uh, I think the numbers have um, like spiked as well. Um, wow. Okay. And um, no, like there's, there's like the projections show that it will be even a higher problem in 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 the world uh, right now. Like there there are different statistics across the world. For example, like in the U.S., it is said to be the forty percent of the the working age population is suffering from chronic pain. But of course, it also depends on how you measured it. Like if you define it as a pain that persists longer than six months, you have lower, you know, uh, prevalence rates. If you define it as a shorter period, you may, you know, include more people. Mm -hmm. But like, um, in essence, it is a, a serious condition. It is a an increasing problem. Uh, and it has very serious um, implications for people and, and uh, organizations. I've been reading your studies, uh, the two we're going to talk about today, and one of them, you you talk about that this chronic pain and pain disability is a new frontier in uh, effective and healthy organizations. Can you share a little bit about that, how you see the intersection of this with the workplace and for those organizations that are looking to actively support their employees? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So like if you think of chronic pain, like it can have multiple, you know, um, sources uh but like chronic pain can be because of your biological tendencies like if you have a you know a, a bi biological uh, predisposition to feel pain or to to experience certain diseases you may have it uh if you are living in a you know a terrible conditions if you feel like stress and if you're unable to cope with stress chances are you may feel chronic pain because your nervous system cannot um, deal with so much like social threats. Or if you are working in a workplace that doesn't care about your health and well-being, if you are working in poor working conditions, you can also develop chronic pain. So if you think about the two of this, these three sources of pain, uh, workplaces have serious degree of control over the social and mm -hmm. the, the work conditions aspect of it. I mean, they may not do much about your, your, your biological tendencies, but they may also create conditions to, um, you know, to, to, to develop chronic pain. So that's why we say it is an, an organizational problem. And also organizations pay for the, the cost of chronic pain. It's not just, you know, they are contributing to it. They are also paying the cost. So like, uh, in essence, we say that organizations are a stakeholder of chronic pain. Okay. Well, certainly, I think, uh, as someone with lived experience myself with sciatic pain, mm -hmm. um, knowing that it that there are, you know, it can Im impact your mental health, your productivity, your daily living, and certainly, um, when you're in a and this is from lived experience too, mm -hmm. when you're in a heightened state of having it, you know, flare up during mm -hmm. a period, and hopefully you can modulate it some, somehow, it really can impact everything that you do at work, which is around decision-making and all those kinds of things. So the psychosocial factors uh, in the so workplace exactly. are really important, I think, to manage and maybe just share a little bit on that. The, the, um, you have uh, one of the studies called Working Through Chronic Pain. So, um, and in one, in your study, you mentioned that uh, sort of this 
this traditional or sort of legacy notion that people have illness or injury or pain, they go off work and they come back, uh, you know, healed and better as opposed to coming back and living and still working because we are economic you know, our livelihood is tied to the workplace. So people do come back to work with still in a state of, uh, you know, difficulty and struggling. Um, that is, I think, one of the sort of when I was reading your uh, articles, it was like, aha, yes, it made perfect sense. But then thinking about the number of people who are working in Canada who are suffering from chronic pain and how, what can uh, just share a little bit about that study and maybe some of the details of it and what you what you did and what you found. Of course. So like our initial point was as exactly as you said, uh, like when we read the literature, by we, I say um, Dr. Kellaway and, and myself. So it was a, a collaborative project. Um, so when we read the literature, we saw that, um, you know, the return to work literature talks about like return to work research talks about, you know, people taking time off from work and then coming back to work. And uh, of course, like there are tons of problems with that system as well, because um, like employers and workers compensation boards uh, are not happy with the lengthy uh, disability leave time of employees uh, because uh, when an employee is outside of the workforce uh, for disability related reasons and, and the primary um, like I, I, I've been reading the, the workers compensation board support seems like that the number one reason is uh, mental health related issues and the second reason is chronic pain so these are the two major okay. um, and and they are by far like uh at the top of the list the 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 following conditions are are um much less prevalent uh but these are the two major sources of um of disability related leaves in in Canada uh and when they are off work uh it takes time for them to come back work and if the the disability time is you know too long um employees are unlikely to come back to work so this is an issue but we when we when you listen to the the stories of our employees when we interview with employees they say that we want to come back to work we want to continue our lives as usual but workplaces are not designed to support us in the condition that we are in um so we said like a, a, a and, and also not everyone is taking a disability leave like uh for instance i mean i can give myself as, as an example i i also have like severe chronic pain um i don't know listeners may not be seeing it now but yeah this is the hot water bottle that i you know live with um and i in my oldest form also yeah <laughs> there you go that's, the that's like around my waist right now yeah <laughs> and um and we don't even report it to our employers. Like they may not even be aware of it, but there's a, a very significant portion of employees are working with chronic pain. They go to work in, in, in pain. They work in pain. Um, and they are silent about it. So we wanted to understand their perspectives to understand what it is like to, to work in pain. Um, so that's why we, we conducted this study. We interviewed with, um, Canadian, um, employees who uh, self-identify as, as an employee with chronic pain. And in that particular study, we uh, identified the teams uh, that 
you know, the, the, the common and important themes uh, that came out of those interviews. And uh, like we, we had eight teams, uh, but, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not sure if I will be able to recall all of them, but leadership was, was one of them for sure. Pain communication was another one. Um, pain's individualistic nature was um, a, 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 another um, theme that I, I remember. Did you find any um, interesting findings, sort of common themes like gender? Were, were there gender differences? Were the differences, you know, could you connect the differences with the workplace perceptions or the w- workplace openness to, you know, um, EAP programs and other benefits that are offered? Sort of just were there some linkages around the, I guess, the experiences of people? Yeah. I mean, uh, we did not have like many people, like our sample size was 13. So this was a qualitative uh, study. So uh, that's why I think that the gender was not a a, a common theme or it's, it's not, if we had a, a bigger sample size, maybe mm. we could find, I, I'm not sure. Because literature says that uh, women's um, disclosure of, of chronic pain is less heard. Uh, by employers, so um, like this is a. I, I, I think this this tells me that, that you know gender can can um, uh, play a role, but uh, in our study we we didn't find it. Uh, mm-hmm. But to me, the most surprising finding was that um, many of the employers that we uh, the, of the employees uh, that we talked to uh, had different sorts of resources and policies to help them with with pain and EFAP was one of them, like uh, great benefits packages like chiropractic and, and like uh, paid physiotherapy and all those uh, resources were very available. But interestingly, the employees that we talked to uh, mostly referred to the, the relationships at work. Uh, they use those resources, uh, but uh, sorry, that they they you know they utilize those resources, but that wasn't enough for them. Like they were looking for something else. Okay. Did um were there? I guess moving on to the second one, which was uh, this. Oh, I did have a question around sort of that intersection of did they share or in the next study you talked about, which is you know equity and inclusion. Like did they um, that. I guess it was your second study around um, the pain disability. Mm-hmm. Did um, how does equity and inclusion show up in some of your own research? So when we say uh, equity and inclusion, like we we t- like in research at least, usually we talk about three things: race, gender, and disability. So, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, pain, chronic pain, uh, can be a disabling. Uh, uh, can, a source of disability. I, I don't want to say it is a disability itself. It can turn into a disability under, you know, uh, under different conditions. Uh, so if uh, in, in our study, that our finding was that leaders had a, had a role to play. So if, um, and, and particularly we found that a transformational leadership was a, a good tool to reduce pain disability among people who have chronic pain. So if you have a leader who recognizes you as an individual, who uh, inspires you, who uh, challenges you, who helps you to find your own solutions, um, who, uh, you know, talks about values and the importance of like, uh, you know, purpose in life, um, 
under those leaders, if, if you're working with those leaders, chances are, even if you have chronic pain, you are less likely to experience um, pain disability. And we found that this is Amazing. due to due to improved um, mental health, like uh, mental health conditions. Yes. Okay. That's amazing that 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 your leader's perspective and, uh, you know, the when you look at the Canadian National Standard for Psychological Health and Safety in the Workplace and you look at civility, respect, psychological support, um, that they are openly and, and actively trying to help you grow as inside your organization and that kind of attention uh, to you as a person, that that has such a huge impact on your experience at work and your level of pain or your, you know, whether you can thrive and have pain at the same time. Exactly. Um, yeah. And if we combine the findings of our the, the two studies that we talked about, like in the first one, we found that pain has an individualistic nature. So not everyone. that a little bit? Of yeah. course, it means that like not everyone experiences pain in the same way. And like okay. we were lucky to find two people with similar backgrounds in our very small sample. Um, like they were at the same age, same job, same racial background, same uh, like physical Ill illness that they're experiencing. But the way they, they experienced pain was entirely different. So um so because, as I said, pain is not only a, a, a biological condition, it, there, there are social and psychological factors in it. So, um, and in, in transformational leadership, in the second study that we, we examined, uh, one of the key behavior is, behaviors is of, of transformational leadership is uh, individual uh, consideration. Do I know you as an individual? Do I know your needs as an individual? Do I uh, attend your needs as, as, as an individual employee? And um, that was one of the, the key behaviors of, of, of leaders that uh, were really, um, that could be helpful. We, we didn't look at specific behaviors, but in, uh, we, we just theorized that this could be the, the driving force. And also meaning and purpose, uh, I think, is like motivation. Because if employees find meaning in their work, if they find a purpose in their work, they want to stay in the workforce. They want to keep working because um, in that condition, work can be a therapy. That's an interesting point that work is a part of your therapy uh, versus the idea that you, you know, you, you need an to stay home and recuperate, that you can actually be in the workplace and be recuperating while you're at work. Exactly. Um, yeah. Tell a little, little bit about more, if you think about the behaviors that a leader could demonstrate that can be supportive of someone who um, can create these conditions. What um, And you mentioned about individual consideration and some of those attributes and behaviors within transformational leadership. Can you share a little more about um, how or some of your research and sort of some details on that on to, for our listeners on how they could think practically in terms of what are the things that they could actively do that can support someone <clears throat> almost in that therapeutic uh, supportive role? Mm -hmm. uh, so in, in, when we talk about transformational leadership, like this was the, the, the model that we tested. So I'll, I'll start your question with, with that. So yeah. transformational leadership has four 
groups of behaviors. So one of them is idealized influence. So talking about values uh, and and prioritizing the collective well-being and collective's um, interests uh, over personal interests. So if we talk about its translation to chronic pain, it could be something like, um, like I need to keep working for my group. Like this is not just me, but I am part of a, a, a larger group. People depend on me and I, you know, this is, I, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be selfish. I should, you know, um, Consider the, 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 like, this could be one translation. Um, and also, like, the idealized influence behavior talks about moral and, and ethical side of it. So, um, the second behavior is inspirational motivation. This is talking about a positive future. So, again, this translation in the chronic pain context can be that, hey, look, you're, you may be experiencing pain at the moment, but future is bright you will get through this. Or even if you don't get through this, it will become less of an issue in your life. There, you know, good things are awaiting uh, for you, uh, that there are, you know, a positive future ahead. So inspiring employees to to um, to f- see future as, as something to look forward to. Uh, the third behavior is, as, as I said, individualized consideration. So what do you need from me? How can I help you? Like, I know that you're in, in pain. Are you in pain today? Or like, uh, oh, wait, maybe I can assign this task to, to your colleague because you, you may not be able to do it because of your, your condition, but, you know, someone else can, can do it for you. Things like that. And the last behavior is um, intellectual stimulation. This is about... Mm-hmm challenging the person uh, to think outside of the box. So again, in the chronic pain condition, this could be, okay, maybe you're having difficulties because of your pain, but we can come up with a new solution that we haven't you know, thought of before. And in most cases, this is like, I I, I see this as a part of like flexibility. you know, if your workplace provides flexible work options, you go and figure out your own solution, which is not in the book, but you just, you know, come up with your own unique way. So um, intellectual stimulation is is about, you know, challenging the, the status quo and, and, and encouraging the employee to find innovative ways of, of, of doing work. That's awesome. So as you were talking about that transformational leadership and psychological safety, uh, maybe uh, what I also like um, our guests to explore, which is sort of the definition of psychological safety. And as you were saying that, I can see the alignment, but I'd love you to explore a little bit of how you think about psychological safety in some of the work um, in exploring pain at work. Mm-hmm. This is actually a, a very good question because like, uh, even though we as researchers, we are looking at like, we are zooming in specific relationships that might be seem like, um, too, too detailed, too, you know, small from the outside, from the, the, the practical world. If we just, you know, step back and, and look at the big picture, we see that good things are, you know, um, they, they go together, uh, like positives. Beget positives, negatives, beget negatives. So, um, psychological safety is defined as, uh, feeling safe, uh, to, 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 you know, um, speak about your mind. 
I will share what I, I, I think and my team, and this is a team level um, mm -hmm. construct. So I will say what I think and my team members will not judge me. They will not, you know, um, punish me. They will listen uh, and they will make the best efforts to understand me. So this is, um, in, in, a, in a nutshell, I think this is the definition of psychological safety. And in, in chronic pain or in transformational leadership context, this is like my leaders will not judge me. My teammates will not judge me. If I am in pain, I can share that I am in pain and they will just understand me. Or if I think that, you know, certain way of doing things are interfering with my condition or my, my condition is interfering with these, you know, ways of doing work, I you will feel safe to share my 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 mind uh to speak my mind uh this is what i understand from psychological safety you thank you for that that's uh fabulous uh you talked about work design sort of in the psychosocial factors and then psychological safety as an outcome that the leader can create so that people feel safe to be able to share um that they're in pain and they need to they want to create like an environment where they can actually continue to work productively and to do that together with your leader, so, you know, and flexibility is one of the biggest, I think, um, probably the biggest levers we have in that, and mm -hmm. that leaders who can uh, start to think more flexibly and creatively about what's possible mm -hmm. to continue to enable someone to be productive uh, and to do you know, what they need to do. I love the idea of not judging me. Um, did you explore sort of some of your background and understanding about the stigma around pain and about types of pain in the workplace? Maybe just share a little bit about that. Cause I think about, uh, I think we're getting better in the workplaces, more openness about what we can talk about and what we can share without judgment and feeling safe to do so. But we also know that from a mental health perspective, there's still a lot of stigma around um, certain kinds of things in sharing. And did you find that in pain specifically? Are there certain kinds of pain that, um, that there might be more stigma around or less stigma mm -hmm. um, in some of your work and your research? So, um, like I haven't studied this myself, but when I lead, read the research that is out there on this topic, I see two types of pain. Uh, sorry, uh, two types of stigma. Others stigmatizing you because you have pain, or self-stigmatization. You think that others are judging you because you mm -hmm. have pain, so you are just stigmatizing your own own condition. Um, and we also know that uh, when the pain is associated with physical conditions, uh, it is easier to communicate and it's also easier for others to accept. But if you have an invisible condition or if you are experiencing a primary type of pain, I mean, the pain as, as a disease itself, it is hard to show where in your body you have the pain. It's hard to explain and it's hard for others to understand. And this is, I think, can be more stigmatized. And I, I remember a, and I, I, I tell this story all the time because this is hilarious. Um, when I first started uh, studying chronic pain, um, Lady Gaga was, was going to give a, a concert and she canceled it because she had chronic pain and she didn't feel like she could, you know, give the whole concert. And, and this is a physically like demanding work, right? Um, 
and they had to return the the, the tickets and etc. Uh, refund the, the tickets. Um, and people were furious about it. In the social media, they were like, she's just making this up. This is, you know, unbelievable. We don't accept it. You know, I made my plans according to it. I mean, think about this in, 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 in two perspectives. Um, like on, on the one hand, you are a, you know, someone from the audience who just, you know, okay, you, you paid, but you're just there to enjoy an hour or two. Uh, and there's also a person who is struggling with pain, who is unable to entertain you in the, the, you know, time <laughs> that you do wanted. And you are blaming her for making things up. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, this is, uh, in a way, this is an exaggerated picture. But this is real and this is what happens in organizations. Like um, maybe, you know, one of your employees is unable to take customer calls for an hour or so. What happens? Like the world doesn't stop. But for that person, answering those phone calls in the exact time that you designated to them, allocated to them, maybe too difficult to like, it's, it's their life, their, their, their health. So um, yeah, this is, this story comes to my mind when we talk about Steve. Hi listeners, Jason here. We hope you're enjoying this latest podcast episode. Now, if you're like Joelle, Alicia and myself and enjoy learning from the best, then the Flourish DX Academy is for you. The Academy includes free e-learning courses on the ISO 45003 standard for psychological health and safety at work and associated topics such as how to conduct a psychosocial risk assessment and how to create the business case for psych health and safety. All courses feature high-quality videos, downloadable resources, multi-choice questions, and a downloadable training certificate on completion. Take your learning to the next level with all Flourish DX Academy courses included within the Flourish DX mobile app. Select podcast episodes from the Psych Health and Safety podcast and sister podcasts from Canada and the USA are also included. Get started with Flourish DX for free at www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. That's www.flourishtx.com forward slash get hyphen started. Now back to this episode. I love that story. I think it's a, um, it's the challenge I think for many people is in the moment, almost believing what is believing what is invisible or not concrete to them. You know, sometimes if it's not concrete and if we aren't experiencing it, um, my, uh, interestingly, my daughter had sent me a, a little text, uh, a few weeks ago. Here I'm sharing this on Canadian, uh, podcast. Uh, she'll love this. She'll absolutely love this. Um, but that idea that for some people, this is exactly that, um, that notion, which is this for some people, they cannot believe what they don't experience themselves in the moment. And, um, we are having a little bit of a conversation back and forth around that. And, what would you suggest for leaders who obviously some of these conditions are um, invisible. Some um, of these conditions are, um, as you say, that idea of this is the primary. Uh, it's, it's a condition that is because of the pain is the health condition um, versus from an injury specifically. And in many ways, we've come a long distance for understanding mental health and also our physical limitations and pain. And yet we still have that struggle of believing what we can't see. Um, how can you help leaders 
um, think through some of that, um, I guess, and how they could um, work with that. And I guess believe people when they are sharing, you know, this thing that they can't see. Um, and uh, I guess that's a really big question. <laughs> I think you 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 already answered it in your question. So believing it, like this is the key. Yeah. First of all, being aware that this mm. is very common. Uh, so like we are talking about like 20 percent in, in the U.S. We're talking about 40 percent of the workforce um, suffering from huge. chronic pain. And there are people who are not uh, also like who, who don't disclose like they're unclosed, uh, like they're closed at people as well. So um, first, I think leaders, please know that, you know, one in every five people, at least in your team, is suffering from chronic pain. So you cannot get like the, the very first reaction that, you know, comes to to mind of, of, of employers, especially when we talk about disabilities, is to get rid of the person, which, by the way, is uh, prohibited by the human rights law in, in Canada. But they find, you know, other excuses to let the, the, the person with the disability go. But you cannot get rid of 20% of your workforce. Like, this is mm -hmm. economically unfeasible. This is impossible and also like we are experiencing experiencing a huge skill gap in in canadian workforce and in the world in general as well so these people have valuable skills so i think the the first story the the, the first message is that um these people there there are too many of, of these people they are valuable people so we need to like understand acknowledge that this is a a an issue that we need to work on on without like this is not something that we can get rid of mm. second if a person is disclosing their pain to you uh chances are they are in pain <laughs> so <laughs> believe them because if they didn't need your 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 support they wouldn't disclose it like why would i make up like if if, if they are you know um coming up with 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 a with a request this tells me that this person needs needs the support, like regardless of what you think the actual condition is. So my my second recommendation would be to to believe, and also um we we now in our research we see that this is beyond the the policies. This is beyond the you know the structured uh, form of the workplace. Chronic pain needs attention through organizational behavior solutions as well. So you. Your, your behaviors, your interactions, how you listen to them, how you uh, talk to them, that makes a huge difference. So uh, this is not, you know, when, when I mean, I, I imagine a scenario when an employee in pain discloses their pain to their leader. And the, the first thing my, at least, leader would say that, you know, I need to talk to HR about this. But this is beyond HR. <laughs> this is not HR's problem. Uh, okay. Yes, they have a role to play as well, but you also as an individual have a role to play and HR cannot answer that. So you need to uh, be, be and, and we learned that positive leadership approaches um, can undo the, the negative effects of pain. I think the challenge, you're challenging leaders to, to dig in and, and understand more about this based yeah. on its yeah. prevalence and the impact it has from a human perspective, but also on the workplace. Um, 
The I know that you work with uh, or you ha you have a lot of students that you're working with and they have um, some projects that are all around these things. Mm -hmm. And you have a podcast yourself, which mm -hmm. is uh, the OHNS project. Yes, the OHS project. Yeah. OHS pro project. Maybe share a little bit about that because you had shared before that you have uh, that students have created resources that uh, are there, and I think that that might be a great resource for organizational leaders, anyone who is interested in the um, obviously um, workplace uh, pain in the workplace, but also other topics as well. Share a little bit about that uh, initiative. Oh. Thank you for for bring this is uh, bringing this up. So um, our initiative is called the OHS Project, and the the website is the OHSproject.ca. So this is um, actually this started when I first. Um, started teaching occupational health and safety. So I was looking for case studies. I was looking for exercises to use in my classes. And there weren't many available or the ones that were available uh, were not, you know, they, they weren't in one place. You really needed to dig, dig through the the internet, <laughs> which yes. is <laughs> so the literature in the internet. So you had to become a researcher, like a, like, like as you are, but you know, for a practitioner or a, a supervisor or a manager inside an organization who may not have all of those time, you know, the research <laughs> skills and the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's, you know, that was the, the, the inspiration behind this project. So, and I also did not want my students to be the, the, the receivers of occupational health and safety knowledge, but I wanted them to, to produce something as well. So, uh, right now in, at the ohsproject.ca, we have different types of resources for people who would like to, um, you know, learn more about occupational health and safety. Um, so my students, uh, interview, real employees, real occupational health and safety issues. They talk to human resources managers. They talk to um, supervisors. They talk to employees about an occupational health and safety challenge that they experience in the workplace. And they write a, a very short case study based on that. And there are like a number of uh, discussion questions. So we, we envisioned it as a tool that could be used in, in training context. And, awesome. and, and, uh, it is, uh, like the, the, the topics vary from bullying to disabilities to leadership to, um, stress, you know, every, everything that can be under the, the, um, umbrella of occupational health and safety. And now, uh, actually I will just talk to, uh, this person after, after recording this, um, podcast. We hired an editor for, for the, um, the OHS project, the CA. So he will, uh, start, um, adding new resources and one of them will be movie analysis. So the occupational health and safety issues that took place in the movies um and and they you know they reviewed the issue they reviewed the uh the literature on the topic they you know analyzed the movie and they asked a number of uh, discussion questions and believe it or not uh many of the 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 movies that we know today uh talk about occupational health and safety to to some degree i love that Oh, you love that. That makes it so accessible and interesting, I think, for, for people. Not that all the other topics aren't, because the other topics are near and dear to your heart and mine. But I love the that 
that sort of take and theme around that to um, explore that. That is something for that. I will actually be watching that too. I'm going to go in and get that and have a look at that. That sounds great. That is, that is uh, student creativity at its best. I think <laughs> uh, when you uh, unleash that creativity about these resources for people and making them accessible and helpful and practical, yeah. Um, because workplace leaders are stretched for time. Supervisors and managers particularly, they are the peanut butter in the sandwich, really, in many ways. Mm -hmm. So they have teams and people who are reporting to them, and then they have people they report to. So I always think mm -hmm. that managers and supervisors inside organizations, it's that is where you should put your $1. Yeah. If you have $1 of investment in leadership development and self-awareness and all of those uh, very specific psychological health and safety um, be based behaviors and practices and in integrating that kind of um, skill and ability. I'd put my $1 there. Um, <laughs> they, they need it the most. Sure, everyone else in the organization needs it, but it's really those supervisors, anyone who has people that they're trying to work with every day and lead uh, it's a tough job. It is it a is. tough job. It is funny um, that you brought up the the one dollar question because uh, my <laughs> colleagues, uh, Steve Granger, he's uh, at Concordia University, and okay. Nick Turner uh, and Alisa. Um, Grocat, <laughs> they they actually um, answered this question in in a research paper. It was a, a next uh, best dollar question. So if you oh, had one hey. additional dollar. Uh, how would you spend it on safety? And they, they mostly looked at it oh. from HR, <laughs> uh, HR practices uh, more than, you know, leadership. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting paper. Oh, I'm, I'm going to read that too. This has been a, a fabulous. I have a whole list now. I have a whole list of things that I need to do oh, after yeah. this. But it is true, I think, because it is that middle, you know, kind of the messy middle in everything. It is that they have the biggest job to do. Um, and, you know, I think the stat is about 70% of a supervisor's workday is helping to manage the relationships, like helping their team in terms of their interrelationships with others. So there's a lot of uh, sort of knowledge and skills and ability and curiosity and transformational leadership mm -hmm. qualities that uh, need to be accessed and and have fluency in to be effective in that job today. Um, it's a, it's a very stressful, I think, uh, stress literacy as well. And the idea of learning more about uh, pain and pain management in organizations as well. Um, maybe share, I know that you have a couple of other um, studies. Are they also uh, coming out that you and I had talked about? Are they also in the area of pain management or are they in some additional areas that you have coming up? Uh, well, I mean, I am a part of lots of uh, different projects. My major, uh, like I, I, I use most of my time on chronic pain related projects. And, and now, uh, we, um, have the, 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 the paper that I talked about transformation leadership and pain disability is, um, is one of the ones in the making. And I also, uh, with my colleague, colleagues, uh, Joe McParland from uh, Glasgow Caledonian University and Minu Salzele. She is a PhD uh, student in our school. We are uh, 
try working on to understand how organizational justice plays in in plays out in the context of chronic pain because uh again chronic pain is a type of disability or, or is a, is a leading source of disability and uh people may have different um people with chronic pain may have different understandings of of organizational justice they may have different needs and expectations and also like having a disability itself may feel unjust if you look at from a broader perspective so we are um working on it we just uh finished our data collection and we will analyze our data to see how people with chronic pain define organizational justice um I just finished a, a quick write-up with my colleague Jana Liubliuk from uh, Simon Fraser University on um, workplace uh, work breaks and how they impact um, well-being and, and okay. performance. Uh, so um, yeah, and and like I'm... apart from occupational health and safety, I am at the moment working on a manuscript on unpredictability bias and and i think it has significant implications for for occupational health and safety but it's not just an occupational health and safety uh issue so i uh with my colleague winnie shen from from uh, york university we are proposing that um unpredictability is actually something that we experience because we avoid thinking about problems Okay, can you share a little bit more about that? So what is unpredictability bias? Okay. Like, so, can you define it just a, a little bit? And then I'm going to swoop back to um, organizational uh, justice uh, yeah. as well. So just that one first. Just to, uh, I think I understand it, but I just wanted you to share a little bit more about what that unpredictability Because we talk about bias a lot when we're talking about equity and, and leadership behaviors and things like that to be self-aware and understand your own bias. So maybe share a little bit about that. Yes. And I, I, I can act, actually explain this using an occupational health and safety example. So unpredictability bias is a term that we are coining uh, based on a number of different theories, uh, drawing on uh, different theories. Uh, and one of them is self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you think something negative mm -hmm. will happen to you, you behave in such a way that something negative happens to you because you anticipate for it. So in unpredictability bias, um, we define, so like world is full of uncertainties. At the moment, we don't know what the climate change will, will result in. We don't know what AI will, you know, what kind of a change AI will make in the workplace or like we don't know when the next pandemic is and and how it will occur so there are lots of uncertainties most of them are about the future and to prepare them we try to make predictions about their influences right um in in in, in health and safety context uh you for for instance you prepare for for disease, uh, disasters, you just imagine what the, the next disaster could be. You prepare for it. And in a way, you try to make a prediction. And then your, your, all, all your planning is based on your prediction. But there are times when even though, uh, there is, you know, in people, when, when there are uncertainties, there are two, two, you know, actions that people take. We either can seek more information to, to reduce the uncertainty or we avoid. So unpredictability bias is about the avoidance route. So okay. sometimes we just don't want to 
predict. We just don't want to learn more about the the issue. We avoid, and when it happens, we see them. You know, uh, it it come across as a surprise. But like, if we you know um, go back, maybe this was something that we could have predicted, but we avoided. Right. That is that shows up, I think, from a psychological health and safety perspective. Uh, also, when we, um, you know, we're thinking about prevention, so exactly. thinking about exactly. all of the uh, work we can do in psych health and safety on the prevention side. So, how are we um, assessing a particular factor and trying to put things in place to mitigate its impact, or and then exactly. because basically we are trying to predict what's going to happen and then mitigate that to ensure that um, I, I guess the worst case scenario does not happen. Um, so I can see how that would really be interesting and connected to some of the prevention work in psychological health and safety as exactly. well. Or safety yeah. uh, accidents, like workplace accidents, incidents. Yes. And the, 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 you know, when, when we talk about them, we say that, you know, these are things that are preventable. <laughs> so this is the, where the, the prevention piece comes in. Yeah. Nice. Organizational justice, and I had referenced earlier about inclusion or uh, fairness on, and those kinds of things in the workplace. So a little bit of what is organizational justice and maybe for our listeners to define what that is and how, mm-hmm. how it connects into the workplace. Mm-hmm. So organizational justice is about how fair you perceive your, your workplaces, uh, and it has three types. Uh, one of them is distributional justice, so how fair the uh, resources and outcomes are, are distributed in your workplace. Uh, so this can be, a, you know, your salary, for instance, can be, uh, a, you know, an outcome. And like distribution of, of, of compensation could be a part of distributional justice. The second mm-hmm. one is procedural justice, which is more complex and more abstract, if you ask me. It is about the fairness perception, perception of fairness of uh, policies and procedures. It is not about the salary. It's about how your salary is calculated or how it is, you know, those decisions are made. Um, for instance, you know, you and I may not, and I'm giving this the salary example, but it can be about anything and everything, basically. Uh, but you and I may have different salaries, but if you are more experienced and if you if you have more education, this, you know, this, and I may perceive the procedure as, fair and I can say that there's procedural fairness and that's why the outcomes are different. And the third one is interactional justice. And uh we haven't analyzed the data, but we we I mean I personally anticipate that this is where we will find most of the the um participant um data in. So interactional justice about the fairness of relationships. Are you okay. yeah the, like nepotism for instance like do you, yeah. do you play the favorites or do you treat my colleague, you know, uh, more positively than how you treat me? Like this is, this is the interactional justice piece. That, the, I love that. Okay. That just makes me want to go down the research bunny trail of that to, <laughs> to understand that. <laughs> um, because I think all of us experience in the workplace, different levels of fairness and how, that plays out for us is obviously our own perspective, but raising the consciousness in workplaces of thinking about these issues and thinking about 
how that makes uh, that actually ties into psychological safety as well. So, you know, kind of your level of understanding of fairness will probably may, might be a predictor. Yeah, I'm not a researcher, Dr. Gulserin, so I'm not that uh, person, but I'm just thinking in my own thinking it through whether I feel comfortable um, sharing something if I think, if I have understood that um, there is different treatment for different people inside an organization uh, exactly. than exactly. my uh, level of safety that maybe it's, uh, you know, if I'm in a particular position, my safety might be quite low or it could be quite high. And so I'm actually encouraged to share because there is a perceived fairness and everybody's ideas are valued. One person's ideas are not more valuable than another's in a team. All of those things, I can see how the application can be on a team level. Mm -hmm. And for a workplace leader thinking about that, how that's playing out and how they are helping to create the most positive and you know, think, uh, for instance, uh, you have chronic pain, you have like the, the, the equity piece is not about equality, right? Be no. like equity means that we have different needs and, and, and we come from different backgrounds and we may have like different need, types of supports. So in the, the, um, the interactional or, or like in, in organizational justice in, in general, if you have chronic pain, you may go and ask your supervisor to, you know, um, to offer some flexible working options for you. Maybe you can go home earlier. And um, if, you know, you also don't need to have to disclose your condition to everyone in, in the workplace. You just need to like to, to be able to receive accommodation. The, the, the law requires that you disclose it and just the need, even not the condition, just the, the need that you have. And what does your colleague think when you go home early and, and when there's no explanation? Like they may think that the, the, the supervisor may be playing favorites. This is just, you know, one right. example of it. Yeah, it's a, it is a conversation I have with many organizations around the notion of fairness or perceived fairness or perceived unfairness. And uh, over the last couple of years, it's been a big conversation in some of the psychological health and safety conversations mm -hmm. I'm having. So I'm really looking forward to that work. Thank you so much for all that you've shared uh, today and given me all kinds of uh, pieces for me to think about and, and do a bit more exploring around and hopefully for our listeners as well. And um, I think based on uh, that you have these new projects coming to fruition, that we can have you back maybe in the fall and uh, or some other time to share a little bit more about some of the findings of those because i think those would really support leaders who are looking to um, move towards some of that transformational leadership behavior and practices and thinking that you shared as well do you have any advice final advice for uh, workplace leaders around um, you know the uh, importance of understanding pain and uh, chronic pain in the workplace? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I think it's just, you know, please, no, please, like, educate yourself on the issue of chronic pain. You may think that this, you know, you may overlook it because you don't have enough information about it. So be aware, be you know, be educated on this issue. Uh, believe when your employees disclose their pain because disclosure is not an easy behavior itself. If they make the effort to, to disclose their needs, that means that they 
re might really need your support and also positivity so leadership is about inspiration it should be about inspiration it should be about being a positive role model because uh, many leaders still think that you know correctional behaviors are effective but our research time and time after shows that it's not about correcting the other's behaviors it's about inspiring others so if you are a positive role model if you are an inspirational leader if you are you know a supportive person they will correct themselves they will try to you know make their best to 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 please you, they, you know, they would want to keep the, the positive relationship going. So there's their social exchange. So, um, mm -hmm. like in, in general, I think my, my overall recommendation for all leaders is to, um, to be the positive role model. And keep learning. And I keep Saren, that's, uh, I think, the advice there, keep learning. There is so much to learn. So the idea that, uh, you know, it's another thing on leaders' plates is also part of the conversation sometimes. But the research is pretty clear that if you can re you can reduce, uh, create more psychological health and safety uh, outcomes, then you will actually create more space in your in your workday as well, because you're going to be reducing some of the challenges for employees. And hopefully over time, not maybe in the short term, but over the long term, you can create um, better working conditions and with redesign and some of these other um, sharing some of the other um characteristics and information you shared today. So thanks for joining us. And I appreciate it. How can people reach out and connect with you? And oh, if they have more questions or want to um, sort of learn more about some of the research and some of the work you do. Of course. Uh, so uh my, um, I, I mean, I can leave my email and, and my uh, faculty profile. This is usually where I, uh, you know, post most of my, my you know, new researches as they come. Um, I also have a Psychology Today column um, under my name where I share the, the practical aspects of uh, the, the research that I'm doing or the research that I'm reading. So um, I, I, I try to be active there. Um, I also want to, you know, take this um, opportunity to thank you, Kim, because the work that you are doing is very important, like knowledge translation, knowledge mobilization. And I know that you are making real effort to understand, to read research and to understand it and to, to translate it into practice. So um, this is, you know, a, a, a tremendously important job. And, and uh, I just wanted to take this opportunity to, to thank you for your work. Thanks for that. It is. It's all parts of the, uh, I would, I will never be an academic. What I can be is a pracademic. I can just adjacent to your work so that I can help in that. Uh, you're translating it as well. And I can just be a part of that. So it is a, definitely a, a diverse and team effort. So thanks for that. I appreciate that. And thanks everyone for listening. Um, and you can find, I uh, hope you stay and explore more of the episodes for Psych Health and Safety in Canada. You can reach out to me at 13factors.ca and also on LinkedIn. I'm always interested in connecting with you. And if you have a topic, an idea you want to explore in psychological health and safety and workplace occupational health and safety, please reach out to me there. And uh, tune back in and keep checking for um, we do these podcasts uh, as regularly as we can and post and release them uh, once a week or once every couple of weeks. So check back to wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks. And until next time. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Canada podcast to stay up to date with the best content on workplace mental health in North America. 
Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the Flourish DX community at www.flourishdx.com.